Soul Detox. I'm in chapter 42 of the book of Psalms. So if you have a Bible, let's go to Psalm 42. I am so glad you're here. This is a great uh, thing to hear the word of the Lord together and to get it from a book of Psalms. It's just kind of an unusual thing. Um, how many of you uh, found growing up Psalms was a favorite book for you? Just, yeah, bedtime reading, early morning reading, yep. How many of you have memorized a, a, at least a portion of the Psalms? Psalm 1, 23, 100, 150, 70, 37, 96 or some high point Psalms. These are the heart cry, really, of uh, God's people a thousand years before Jesus even came. So Father in heaven, as we have our Bibles open and now as we see in your word, now we pray that we would see the real prescription for our souls to detox them because that's what we need. The world is so contaminating and our own uh, destruction of our own heart is contaminating, but then what happens on the outside in, in community and in public society, it's contaminating to our souls and so we need the detox that only your word can bring. It's pure and it's right and it's true and it brings us back to a, a true holy being of what we want to be. So please uh, g- give to us the medicine we know will help us, which is your word. And um, Lord, we thank you for your word today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Last week we started Soul Detox with the rest for the restless. And in that Uh, passage of scripture we read together and as we learn what we found is that the Lord wants to provide for us rest but in our own in our own angst we create a restlessness there's an agitation about us and the Lord wants to give us rest for our very souls it's a good thing Uh, we learned too last week that we aren't not just a body with the soul even more you are a soul with the body and being a soul with a body it's not that there's anything wrong with taking care of the body, you gotta do that, but you have to know that the body is just the box, just the container, really what's inside is your soul, and that's what you really wanna to attend to because that's what you're gonna live with the rest of eternity, okay? That's where you're putting your investments, in the soul issue, and your soul's what's gonna to go to heaven, and so it's that immaterial part of who you are, and you should take care of the body, but even more so, attend to the issues of your own heart, what's happening inside because you are not a body with a soul, you are a soul that happens to have a body, at least for a season. And, um, and so we talked about that in light of how restless life can be and how we can find rest in the Lord. I, um, I wanna leave off of that thought with just um, one little quote from Corey Ten Boom, a great little writer who had a wonderful story of her own. It'd be great for you to read it on your own. But she wrote this, you look at the world and you'll be distressed if you look within you'll be depressed but if you look to God you'll be at rest it's really true we've all had moments where we've been distressed or depressed you know we've looked out looked in we've all had those moments so now when we look up to God he puts us at rest and that's a good thing it's a good thing to care for the soul And you need that because you need rest for your soul, but you need a safe place where you can be vulnerable and honest before a holy God who allows you to be transparent and 
and it's a, it's a good thing. Now today, I want to move off of that restless soul to the next word picture, what we call a heavy soul. How do I get help for the heaviness of my own soul? Because quite frankly, our generation has had the highest percentage of people who deal with an ongoing, low-grade, low-level amount of depression. Our society also has a lot of people where there's not anything terribly wrong. In fact, we have most everything that we need. In fact, we probably have more than what we need, and that may be causing some of the distress. But there is a soul dissatisfaction, is what the, the clinicians are calling it. There's a lack of hope and a lack of faith. There is a heaviness, and it's described with terms like pessimism, where, where we um, ruminate past mistakes, and there's an excessive level of worry. There's, and because of being displaced, moved a bunch, that there's no family support, so there's, and if you're not locked into a really good Bible teaching church that also has support within it, you feel no emotional support. So people will oftentimes, oftentimes describe themselves as sad or blue or empty or lonely, and those are fairly normal things. In fact, you may have had seasons like that where you're saying, you're describing me one year ago right now or two years ago right now. And you may have even used phrases like, why do I even bother? Why do I keep doing this? Does it really matter? And, and, and I felt this way. No matter what you do to get ahead, you're not going to get ahead. You know, just, they're going to keep bumping the finish line further out. And it's then that we take the word of God, Psalm chapter 42, and here's, this is good therapy for the soul. And I want to read the passage, and I want you to read it. So if you have a Bible, read along with me. But I, I want you just to take it in kind of like a cool drink. Sip it and think about it and sip it and think about it. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Where where can I do this, he says. I'm feeling at a loss. Maybe you've been there. My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where's your God? You get this? The guy's crying. That's what he's eating, drinking, is his tears. And people around him, are they any help? No, they're saying, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. In other words, there used to be happy days at the church house. But now I am so low, I have to look up to see bottom. It's just sad. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Verse 5. This is kind of the turning of the passage right here. Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizra. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of the waterfalls, all the waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, and by night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning? Have you ever done that before? God, where are you in the midst of this injustice? Where are you when things aren't going well? Uh, have you forgotten about me? Must I, my life be defined by mourning? Verse 9. Oppressed by the enemy? 
My bones suffer mortal agony as my toes taunt me. Oh, it's my toes. Foes taunt me. Sorry. Saying to me all day long, where is your God? I'm reminded of a story of a woman who was going through that kind of a thing. She just says, my bones ache. I just feel awful. And her husband says, we need to go to the doctor. She says, I can't even get out of bed. I just ache all the time. And she's, verse 9, you know, bones, mortal agony, foes taunt her. She's awful. So the doctor said, when do you feel bad? All the time. And she, he said, you, you seem edgy. I am edgy all the time. Did you, did you wake up grumpy? She said, no, I let him sleep in. Some of you don't get that. That's okay. I, I add that because this is a gloomy message, and that's the high point right there. You just, that, was the high, that was the upper point right there. So if you're looking for a jovial moment, that was it. Why, my soul, are you downcast? You ever been there? Yeah. Why am I so down? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Savior and my God. Even David, the psalmist, knew what it was like to be chased for his life. He knew that life could be very heavy. So what are the signs of heaviness? How do I even know I'm under it? Well, let me give you three signs and then um, three help points. The heaviness, first of all, is with the trouble from the past, something of your, that you regret, affliction, Lamentations puts it this way. This is from the writer Jeremiah. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and gall. I well remember them and my soul downcast within me. Jeremiah is saying, I remember just how ugly those, that season of life was. And you may even have regrets or guilt from the past, wishing you'd done something different. You have a lost opportunity, a lost job, a lost love. Uh, and it, it doesn't matter, but I think it's good for you to be honest with God. That's, that's important, like Jeremiah was when he writes Lamentations. But it creates a kind of a heaviness. Secondly, there's this heaviness over the issues of the present. This is not going away. But now trouble comes to you, Job says. Now it comes. It's not just that it happened in the past. It's my ongoing reality. And you are discouraged. Not in the past. You are in the present discouraged. It strikes at you. You are dismayed. You didn't see this coming. It's the day-to-day issues that keep you living with no hope. There's a third. Heaviness is not only with the past and the present, but it also can project itself to the future. Have you ever worried about paying the bills or retiring well or uh, your debt is rising or the job or the economy, your children and health and you have parents and you have neighbors and you can't seem to balance all of that and when you project that out into the future, it doesn't get better, it gets worse. And there's a heaviness in pondering the future. Jesus put it, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Your life's more important than that. Don't worry about tomorrow, he says, but tomorrow is an issue for many of us. We're always projecting tomorrow. Now, you have to know this, too. This, this kind of overwhelmed kind of dismay, this heaviness of heart, 
It happened to good people. It happened to Esther in the Old Testament. She went to go before the king. Went to Daniel as he gets thrown in the lion's den. The apostle Paul, he gets beat up, thrown out of town, left for dead. It's not a happy day for him. Can you imagine his prayer letter from a missionary? Hi, how'd your week go? Not bad. Got thrown out of two cities, beat up. You know, they thought I was dead, but I'm not. That's the high point of his week. It's just, it's a tough way to live. So, this happened even to Jesus. Mark records it in his gospel. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. He began to be deeply distressed and troubled. So here is Jesus, and he is deeply distressed and troubled. And he says, my soul, verse 34, is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. My soul is overwhelmed. He's saying, this is getting away. So he says, as I leave to go pray, guys, you stay back here and you watch. Can you imagine if your leader is going to pray and he says, oh, by the way, guys, I am deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed. Okay, I'm gonna go into the woods and pray. You stay and watch. How would you feel about your leader? It happens even to Jesus. So what are the responses? How do you handle this? What do you do with this heaviness of soul? Well, Psalm 42, thank the Lord, gives us some really good handles. Psalm 42, pick it up at verse five. You have to begin by telling your your soul to remember God's faithfulness, his faithfulness in the past. Why are you so downcast, verse five? Why so disturbed within me? That's good that you ask yourself those questions. It's good that you're honest, but stop there. You You don't wanna camp on this too long. Let me tell you why. If you do, it will cycle for you as you overthink it, as you ponder it, and it gets larger, and it looms more, and it it becomes a bigger and bigger problem, and you lose perspective. So you have to choose to call to mind the faithfulness of God. Verse five, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. He moves right to the next phrase. Put your hope in God, for yet I will praise him. When you're tempted to cycle down, tell yourself the truth about God. My hope is in him. He ultimately wins. My soul is downcast within me, verse 6. Therefore, I will remember you. I will call up the name of the Lord. I'll go back. Now, stop right there. It's totally okay to admit I'm down or I'm losing a grip. I feel a heaviness of soul. It's good to have that honesty, okay? But this honesty in and of itself, or to admit pain, that, there's nothing supernatural about that. Everyone has moments where we're downcast, where we're feeling alone and depressed or isolated. And staying there will lock you in time. Staying there could very well stall your life, and then ultimately it stalls your life and then dates you, and that becomes what defines you. And if that defines you, all you're defining is that you're human, that you have problems, and so does everyone else. You have despair, and you have a downcast spirit. Everybody else does too. That defines you, and that's the measure of your life. You don't want to stop there. What you want to do is get to the end of verse 5. Put your hope in God. If you circle around that, here's what happens. Sometimes we have a hurt. We have something in our past. And if if that becomes your friend and you love to recite that, that's a warning sign. You love to go back there. That's becoming your friend. And when it becomes your friend and you become fond of it, that's where, it's, that's where you're going to camp in life. And you want to get from there to admitting it 
to getting to put your hope in God. Downcast, hurt, disturbed, okay, so now what am I gonna do? I'm gonna put my hope in God and admit the pain but refuse to stay in the pain and ask the Lord, help me to praise you even in the pain. Even when my soul is downcast, verse six, I will remember you. I will bring up, to, I will call to remembrance the goodness and greatness of God. Jeremiah did that when, when uh, he wrote both uh, Jeremiah and Lamentations. Lamentations chapter three. By the way, Jeremiah, if anybody could cry, this would be the guy who would do it. He's also known as the weeping prophet. Israel, just to give you some context, had had a great run as a country. They'd had three good kings, Saul, David, Solomon. As Solomon died, the country split and started to slide down. Split north and south, had lots of kings, some good, mostly bad kings, but some good ones. In the midst of that uh, downfall of the kingdom, other, king, other kings came in and plundered the country and took away all the educated people, all the great workers, all the resources out of Israel. So they what did they leave? They left over anybody they didn't want, okay? In walks Jeremiah, and now he's gonna minister to the people who were left behind. They weren't even worth picking up. Talk about a depressed setting. And he writes in Lamentations, yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. He's dealing with the bleakest of situations. He says, I call this to mind, therefore I have hope. Because of the, great, the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. I'm not taken by this, Jeremiah says. Because of his compassions, they never fail. Why? Every morning, they're, they're brand new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Even though the country is bleak, even though it's in decline, I know the Lord is good and ultimately he will win. You have to pull up the memory that he forgave, that he answered prayers, that he aligned the events. You've had this before where you're reading the Bible. Maybe you're on a schedule to read the Bible. You had this happen? You're in a one-year Bible or you're reading through the Gospels, you're doing something, and the passage you read that day is the very passage you need. How did they know that? How did God know that to line this up just for you? This, is ha this happens to me probably once or twice a month. Someone will walk up to me after church and they'll say, how did you know my life? That sermon was just for me. You preached a sermon just for me. That was wonderful. And I go, who are you? I'm not, I'm not sure we've met. I go, you know my week. You knew what happened. I, no, I didn't. That was the aligning of what God's word does with your heart and your soul. Have you ever had a trying time and you hop in the car and turn your radio on and it's the very song from Third Day or Hezekiah Walker or Jars of Clay or Michael W. Smith or whoever it is, you, you turn it on and go, oh, I needed that. I just needed that. The Lord knew I needed that. Those people at the radio station need, knew I needed that. They don't know. They're, people at the radio station aren't that smart. They don't know what you need. They just play music. You just, you, you just have to tune in to what God is up to, and you have to determine, I'm gonna make the choice, number one, to remember God's faithfulness. You've had your car service before, like I have. You know, you, you get done, they call your name, and you pay your bill, and you go out. I open the door to my car, I have my key, open the door to my car. First thing I notice, the seat's like, oh, you had that, all the mirrors are adjusted. And then they have that little piece of paper on the floor to make it look like a car mat, like they care. You know what I'm talking about? And see, so you have to, you wrestle with that paper because it's going to tangle up in the foot, in the foot pedals pretty soon. Your gas in the brake and, 
And so you, you pull that out. Then I start the engine, adjust my seat, start the engine, and some radio station comes on from you don't know where it's from. <laughs> Anybody else have this experience? Da, 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 da. You go, whoa, hey, that's not uh, the right car here. It's just my car. It's not the right radio station. What do you do? You reach up and you turn it, right? You say, I'm not listening to that. And about 1.5 seconds in, it either goes off or goes to what you want, right? That's a decision of your will right there. I'm not doing that. And when pessimism and negativity and overwhelmed feelings and despair and downcast spirit comes on the radio of your own heart, you have to make the decision, I will remember the goodness of the Lord, to turn the channel over to the goodness of the Lord. I have to make the decision then to call up to mind and to kick out the, the bad thought, Ephesians chapter 4, get rid of what's the old person within me and, and tune in to this new person within me, Ephesians 4 if you're taking notes, Philippians chapter 4 verses 8 and 9. Um, here's the stuff you have to be telling yourself. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? That's what I have to be thinking about. If it's lost perspective, if it's, if it's out of kilter, if it's overwhelming and it is not proportioned correctly, then I don't need to be thinking about that. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it praiseworthy? Those are the things I have to think about because when your mind begins to recite all the injustices of your life, and you have them and so do I, you recite all those injustices of your life, you you will become what you're reciting. You begin to hear yourself, and that becomes who you are. And what happens is then you become the person who's always feeling the injustice, always feeling like the victim, and you never get to the point of grace, and you never get the glory of God. And here's the problem with that. If you just admit that you're human, that's, there's nothing special about that. But if you see how God works in this, now God gets the glory in your life. Even though there are injustices happening, God gets the glory in your life. It's a wonderful thing. So you kick out the pity thoughts, the, the kind of victim kind of mindset, and you move to the goodness of God channel, and you sing along with that, and you tell yourself those things, you're well on your way to telling yourself and your soul to remember the goodness and the greatness, the faithfulness of God. Secondly, you continually call out to God in the present. Verse 7 of chapter 42. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All the waves of breakers have swept over me. This is like it's crashing in on me. By day the Lord directs his love. Active, right there. Active and present. He directs his love. At night his song is with me. Again, active and present in the tents. So here's our life. So our life is a prayer to the God of my life. In other words, I am going to be doing this the rest of my life. Day by day, the Lord directs his love. This is a daily thing. It's my prayer. It's my life. It's where I live constantly. I call out to God constantly. And I get alone with God. I call out to God, get this, and not out to others. God can fix this faster than others ever could or would have the capability to. And and why do we say that? Not only because of chapter 42, but chapter 46 God is our refuge and strength. He's the ever-present help in trouble. He is the ever-present help. He is just always there. Just boom, he's right there to help. Thirdly, 
we trust in God's power for the future. Verse nine, I say to the rock, to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? In other words, you're asking the question, which is the honest question to be asking, is this going to be my future? Is this my life? Is this what my life is gonna be about? Is this gonna define me, in other words? Verse 10, my bones suffer mortal agony as the foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? And you realize your body is wearing out because of the burden, the heaviness of life. This is costing me and my body knows the marks of it. So why is my soul so downcast? Verse 11, why am I so disturbed? I just need to put my hope in God and praise him. I just need to put my hope in God and praise him. He is my savior, and I can't think that I am or that anybody else is. And if someone else were to save me, I might worship them, which would be idolatry. So I want the holy God of heaven to be the one who comes to the rescue because I want to worship the right God. So therefore, I will praise him and make that my choice. I will trust in God's power for my future. Even when I cannot see the victory, I can put my hope in God now let me take you back again to that decline time after Saul, David, and Solomon, the kingdom splits and Jeremiah is a prophet there. There was another, there was a king. Some kings were bad. Most, most kings were bad, a few were good. There was a good king in the split country. His name was Hezekiah. And the story goes with Hezekiah, the country's being diminished, the economy is bad, and the morale of the people is not good. And Hezekiah knows he wants to defend the land, and he hears that a neighboring country is coming again to plunder. They're going to attack him. And so he seeks the Lord, he prays, but he gathers his leaders together, and he says, here's the situation. We have to bolster up the defense. And they begin to do that. And one of the other things they did, I thought it was pretty cool, if you read uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 32, they actually cut off the water supply out, outside the country. And they, they had cisterns, they had ways of draining that water out, which would mean the enemy could come in, but they couldn't camp there for very long. They had to get back out. Again, they could never charge and just stay up against the land because they had no water source. Hezekiah's a smart guy. And um, he did all that, but he didn't know how the battle would go. And so he, he gave them this speech. Here it is, chapter 32, verses 7 and 8. Be strong and courageous. Sounds like Joshua, doesn't it? Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. Now that sounds like 1 John, where John writes, greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. He's saying, don't be discouraged because of that king. For there is a greater power with us. Just remember, we're with the Lord, people. He doesn't have the Lord. Verse eight, with him is only the arm of flesh. Only what he has in his arm is all he has. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. End of quote. And you know what happened? The people gained confidence. And that day, they were victorious. Because the, great, the greater power was with them, not with the enemy. And all they had was the arm of flesh. The enemy, that's all they had. But Hezekiah says, hey, people, we have more than that. We have the arm of flesh, but even more, we have the arm of the Lord protecting us. So we will call out to him, 
And he is the one whom we will trust, no matter how it goes. Well, so there's this heaviness piece, right? A heaviness of the soul. Here's the good news about the heaviness of the soul. I'm hoping that today you will realize that the heaviness of the soul is so heavy, there's no possible way you can make it in life without the Lord. I want to paint such a, a bad picture for you that you'll run to the Lord to trust him, okay? And by running to the Lord, even those of you who come to Christ already in faith, you're gonna run to him to trust him because he is your armor, he is your shield, he is your covering, he is your place of blessing. He gives to you in the resurrection of Jesus Christ the same power of the resurrected Lord he gives to believers. And, and because of the resurrection, we are people of great hope. I hope that you run to him. Now, some in the room may not be there yet where you've trusted Christ, but you're realizing, ah, my life is not only distressed and, and I, I feel s- somehow helpless, I, I really need supernatural help. Then that's the perfect place to be to come to the Savior. What God did for us was an amazing thing. He gave to us Christ. A thousand years after this psalm was written, Christ came to earth and became the savior of the world. He died upon a cross. He did that as as an act of his own love towards us and took upon our sin on himself and paid the penalty of sin. But you have to embrace him and receive him as savior and Lord. Just that simple. And as you do that, then... He puts the power within you to have not only hope, but also a, a terrific amount of help. But he also puts you into the family and prepares a place for you in heaven. There's a lot that happens when you tr- come to Christ. And I hope that you see that this, this, kind, of, of, uh, uh, this kind of posturing that the, the psalmist does for us is to help us run to the Lord, who is the help for our own soul. Because apart from him, life is very heavy and you just cannot bear the burdens of life, can't be done. So we run to him in faith, we trust him, and we embrace him. And, and if you're not a believer in Christ, this is the perfect day to, to come to the Lord for sure. All of us who believe know we desperately need a savior. Let's bow together for prayer, and as we do, let's stand to our feet, shall we? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, it would just be good for you to pray on your own you're a follower in Christ, but yet you still feel the heaviness. You know what that is? This is your time before the Lord to say, you know, God, I, I'm realizing the heaviness is there for a purpose to get me to lean in closer. The more independent I am from you, the more I run on my own strength. I don't want to do that. We want to be strong and courageous like Hezekiah because we trust in a great God. But the heaviness of sin is another issue for some of us in the room. And that heaviness of sin will never go away. You can mask it, you can numb it, you can do anything you want. But what good is it if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? So I'm convinced that the Lord has you here not to mask it, not to cover it, not to numb it, but to realize there is wonderful grace and wonderful relief when you come to Christ, who will give you rest for the weary soul.
maybe right where you're standing, you would just invite the Lord into your heart by telling God, God, I know I am a sinner, and I, I can't struggle my way to heaven, can't do it, can't work my way, can't be good enough. And I need Christ as my Savior. I trust him today. For those who are coming in personal faith, Lord, we just ask, oh God, that you'd renew within them, uh, kind of ignite with them, in them, uh, spirit to not only walk with you in faith, but to grow like a newborn baby would grow, just in a wonderful way. And Lord, I pray that you are God May we know you as the God of hope. And may you fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in you. And may you do that through the power of your spirit who lives in us, knowing that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. We pray this in the name of our risen Savior, Christ. And the church says, amen.